Happy Friday, everyone. It's Ethan McKinley from the Two Minute Terminator podcast, and we are back with yet another episode of the Best Minutes podcast. It's minute 35, and each week, the Movies by Minutes hosts, me and the lovely Jim O'Kane, who you'll meet shortly, will examine the William Wyler film, The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute of screen time per episode. Now, without further ado, I've already mentioned him, so why not bring him onto the show? Jim O'Kane, he's bad, he's beautiful, he's sexy. He's a big fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Fishnets, apparently. I'm just kidding. I am, though. How are you, Jim? Welcome to the show. Good. Many ways of embarrassing my daughter, because I, I could tell you stories about <laughs> taking her to Rocky Horror. Uh, <laughs> and we're off. Oh, my God. Uh, yes, it was fun. But she, she enjoyed herself, and so did I. But uh, yes, many uh, many time. I actually used to work back back in the 70s. I don't know if I've, if I've ever mentioned this to you. I was in the West End in uh, the 70s okay. and saw it live. Uh, back there, just after after Richard O'Brien stopped doing stopped doing it, but uh, yeah. So, so who, who was Frank in first? After Tim Curry, was it Anthony Head, or am I misremembering that? Uh, the guy from know, Buffy, I, the professor guy. Uh, yeah, I have I have the cast list around here somewhere, but I don't know where I put it. <laughs> we'll track it down for next week. We can put read it, off. Of put that. it on the Facebook page. Yes. And, yes. Uh, even. Yeah, if you are interested, folks, uh, you might be able to find that at Butch's Place, the best years of our lives, listeners cafe on Facebook. So anything we discussed over the week prior leading up to this point, uh, you can find some of those points and whatchamacallits that we chit-chatted about on that page usually. Or if you've got any questions, you can always ask me or Jim and we'll answer you forthwith. Yes, so, of course, by the time we get there, we'll give, we were talking about that when? What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> Try to keep careful notes. Uh, but we are in uh, we're in minute 35. And, yes. Uh, we start with an awkward, an awkward pause by uh, Luella asking the question, "Where's Homer?" And uh, getting back to uh, at, as we finish, we get to meet uh, Butch playing away at the piano as as he meets up with what happened to Homer. He answers the question, "What happened to Homer?" <laughs> Hoagie uh, Carmichael, no less. But before we get there, we've got uh, Frederick March doing actually quite better drunk acting than Paul Bettany did in One Division last week. Actually, <laughs> yes. actually Paul Bettany. With chewing yes. gum in your system, don't care. Frederick March is better, but he's <laughs> he's dragging these poor suffering women across town, going into every strip club, go go bar, and 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 gin gin, <laughs> gin bar he can think of. Yeah, uh, and th- their uh, poor faces. They're like, oh god, not another. Please, can we go home? Oh my god. <laughs> he's really he's not tying one on. He's tying three on here. I know. Uh, Bringing in the uh, the ancient uh, Irish sea chanty uh, "Homeboy's Home," which, uh, it's it's fascinating that they got that past the uh, the censors because I, I don't know if you know the lyrics to it, but it's very uh, it's basically about a sailor who gets a a, a hotel maid pregnant and accidentally pregnant with twins. Oh, okay. Uh, so would this have resonated with the audiences then? Then it was it was it even under the radar even then? It was like a uh, sneaky William Wyler thing that oh, if you know I, it, you know it, and if you don't, you don't. Wink, wink. The censors yeah, certainly didn't. Uh, it was a Mademoiselle from Parmentier's kind of a thing that I think anybody who was in the armed forces who had served in the European theater would probably know the song. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, you know it's like bringing up men from Nantucket and such, uh, it, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. It, but he he just sung the cli- the cleaner parts of the song, and uh, they were you know rolling their eyes and putting up with it. But uh, quite a thing. Well, I know the Nantucket one because it's on the uh, the old Simpsons episode where the Homer joins NASA, <laughs> and he's somersaulting singing the Nantucket song, and then he I think he breaks his back before he gets to the rude part. But it's uh, quite funny. <laughs> ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> the uh, it, fascinating uh, view of what I believe is Hollywood Boulevard back in the forties. Yes, um, it's uh, was it, it sleazier it, then maybe than in later years or is, worse is, or better? Is that or physically not? physically possible? I don't know. I don't know. I think, well, there's a, there's a Sunset Boulevard documentary, wasn't there, about four or five years ago, like Keanu Reeves and uh johnny depp in it and stuff and the the owner of the chateau marmont talked on it and various people that worked in various kind of shops and things over the years and like clubs and bars the whiskey go go it's a really good documentary and it was talking about like the cd but also alluring side of hollywood and particularly you know the sunset strip where people dr- dreams go to live or die all the all the starlets getting chewed up by the system and things and even back in the 40s there was that uh was very much a, a thing firmly in place i think probably would have put harvey weinstein to shame uh, even then but uh yes very interesting but is that a set or is that stock footage no that that is that is really that that's really la because and if you if you notice there it's only it's at second 15 it's for a brief moment we see a picture of the radio room which yeah. was a a bar on Just sunset skipping I, to it now hang on yeah it was a bar on sunset i believe yeah. and they're advertising freddie fisher and the original Colonel of Corn. Yeah. He uh, Freddie Fisher was he ran a comedy band called the Schnickel Fritz Band, <laughs> and they have a they had a song called uh, Colonel Corn is here to stay from 1938. It was a popular novelty song. Colonel and, Corn uh, is here to stay. Yeah, and okay. uh, Freddie Schnickel Fritz Fisher and his orchestra. So it's <laughs> uh, that's a tongue yeah, twister. But, yeah, and he was uh, American. I will I will let. Uh, Wikipedia speak for me. He was a uh, an American musician, leader of a band variously known simply as the Freddie Fisher Band, Freddie Fisher and his Schnickel Fritz Orchestra. Oh, here we go. Careful. Uh, Schnickel Fritz, by <laughs> the way, don't say anything is, racist. Yeah, it's a it's a German it's a German word meaning a mischievous little boy, comparable okay. to a scamp or Colonel Corn and his band. The band, which made its name in Minnesota, was essentially a novelty act influenced yeah. by vaudeville performers. Okay. Uh, and he just did it, similar to Spike Jones, I think would be another not the not the late you know not not the current Spike Jones, but the yeah. Spike Jones of forties fame. Um, he had hits in on Billboard, uh, "Horsey Keep Your Tail Up," "The Sugarloaf Waltz," and "They Go Wild Simply Wild Over Me." Mm. So, um, is spot, what's Spike short for? Is that a nickname? Or is that an actual American Spike, forename? I, I, I think it's just no, it's it's just a it's a nickname typically somebody with Spike's hair, Spike hair. Um, right. I don't know if it's short for anything. Maybe Samuel. I, I used to know a right. guy named Sam whose nickname was Spike. Spike. But, right. Um, what part of uh, Sunset Boulevard is this? You, this is not Hollywood Boulevard, right? Sunset Boulevard. Right? I believe it's. I believe it's Sunset. At least okay. What I, saw I wonder what part there. of Sunset it would be, because I know like the Saddle Ranch and Whiskey A Go Go and Comedy Store. Is it that part, or is it further down, or because uh, it bleeds onto Santa Monica Boulevard, doesn't it? Sunset Strip, and then it goes off to santa monica uh, i'm sorry excuse me i stand corrected it is oh. 1539 vine oh i know vine so, yeah yeah vine. Fairfax. okay this is 15 yeah 1539 vine of course connecting hollywood boulevard to fairfax yeah and uh yeah i'm looking at the i'm looking at pictures of it in the uh in the 30s 40s and 50s uh it was a big thing um it was, let's see, uh, I'm trying to see what it was. It was yeah, very close to Hollywood Boulevard. It was just a little bit north of Hollywood Boulevard. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just trying, because those, the reason I asked is because I, uh, 
I watched the documentary on Alien the other day, and it it premiered at the Egyptian theatre. The Egyptian theatre was famous having the the word Egyptian going up. A lot of these signs, like Radio Room, it says on these bars, is just normal as a sign will be. But it, if you look further down the frame on the right, it says dancing, and I think it says yes. restless. But the signs go upwards, and that's how I always remember the Egyptian theatre before you know they changed the front of it was. So I just thought, oh, maybe it's that lower part of uh, Hollywood Boulevard. But I was wrong. It's sunset. So there we have it. <laughs> ah, yeah, it's um, just yeah, fascinating seeing this. It was uh, inside there, the mayor of Encino, Tom Brenneman, used to run uh, a radio show out of the radio room. He was right. the morning mayor. Um, but <laughs> okay. yeah, fa fascinating to see this. That uh, <laughs> And you can see that uh, work was to be had pin setters at the bowling alley. But long, <laughs> long before the days of the Brunswick automatic pin setter, you have people that would have to go in and drop oh, a quick really? pin. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and avoid being hit by bowling balls from drunk um, <laughs> uh, customers. Now, how would they have put the bowling pins down? Would it be like one of those racks like you get on a pool table? Yeah, exactly. Just, okay. It's a lot like a pool table, except that it had, you know, 10 holes in it, and you drop mm -hmm. them all in and uh, and avoid <laughs> avoid the overhand pitch of a, yeah, of a bowling yeah, yeah. ball. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, so it's it quite a... <laughs> <laughs> in case you wanted to go bowling at 10 o'clock at night. Um, well, who wouldn't? Well, I mean, we, yeah. we have that now. You can go bowling late at night, can't you? you I know you can in America for sure, and here yeah, in this yeah. country, yeah. Do you do you have cosmic bowling by any chance? The uh, glow-in-the-dark balls and the glow-in-the-dark uh, pins? I don't know. Not that I can think of where I am, but I think in London there's a place called All Star Lanes, which has all the kind of crazy-ass disco, you know. Ah. Yeah, crazy. My, uh, my dear wife who grew up in the Boston area, Boston, Massachusetts Is that area. like the crazy golf version of bowling then? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. completely, you know, they, they turn on the black lights and everything glows and, you know, you're just wandering around in the dark throwing throwing glowing bowling balls. Um, my, my wife, who grew up in Massachusetts, uh, is refers to that as big ball bowling because she used um, what they called the candle pin bowling, rather difficult one, a ball about the size of a, an American softball uh, or a, a, a bocce ball, if you're familiar with a large bocce ball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the bowling ball, and you pitched it, uh, down an, uh, an alley that was composed of uh, candle pin uh, pins. The pins were about as wide as a broom handle, and there were <laughs> there were uh, ten of those. And you got three chances in a frame to knock down uh, ten pins. <clears throat> the difference being the uh, the pins that had been knocked down were not uh, removed from the fr from the alley, so that you could be used to you could knock the down pins into the other, other pins, pins yeah. yeah as a weapon almost and or an assist. yeah they're a bit like yeah, those the french balls ball right those yes. silver ones yeah same kind right. of look yeah, yeah 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 very uh very different way and uh my wife believes that uh, big ball bowling is very easy compared with that so she feels that she you know 200 is easy for her <laughs> okay i just uh i, I used to th when i was a kid i used to think that uh bowling if you could bowl your weight, you did a good job. And that was, that was of course, back when I weighed 85. Now I would, uh, yeah, I could, I could be tournament champions now. Um, but uh, anyway, that was, yeah, it's just an interesting view, a brief, like, three-second view there of the out, outdoors of 1946. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. I, I mean, I go on YouTube quite a lot and look at old, not only, like, old V, well, when they did the 1980s video cameras, there's a few 1980s video camera people films of filming the, the town i'm in now it's so fascinating seeing stuff from like just local in the 1980s or kind of old film reels of london the old pathé ones of the 40s yes 50s and yeah. 60s quite fascinating 
Yeah, and it's just you know it's little things, especially that, if they're in color as well. Yeah, it, 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 it's surprising, and the one they they do ones now that they've uh, stabilized the picture, yeah. similar to that uh, nineteen seventeen movie. Yeah. But they've stabilized the picture, and you go through downtown London and say World War One, and uh, just fascinating to see how empty the skies were, or how much yeah. sky there was. Um, <laughs> you know, no no big big skyscrapers or anything. No, much um, better. Wow. Well, anyway, back to the back to the story at hand. We see yes, that uh, we, we see that uh, Frederick March has convinced the girls. That he's get, I was going to say, are you assuming the women aren't drunk, or the daughter isn't, or would they be? <laughs> no, they, they look long suffering, and he's the one who's completely wrecked. They're like, yeah, they they're, they're like kind designated of indulging. bouncers. I think. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, uh, she's really pulling a. <laughs> I, I'm amazed at that that enormous 1940s steering wheel too. That just Fast, oh yeah, it's like a so you're driving a you know a double decker. It's uh. Well, I used really, to drive an old Morris Oxford, and the steering wheel was giant. It was about those oh, big really? legs. Yeah, like an old British uh, Morris Oxford. My ex girlfriend had at the time. I used to drive that. It was like trying to turn a battleship around. But if you hit anything, you'd probably break the thing and not your car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just cut a new path through. But that, yeah, that that shift and the ah, oh, it's just stunning. Um, but they're uh, doing doing good work considering they're sitting they're sitting oh. on a stage in front of half a car. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they go we so we leave. Uh, Frederick March has gone somewhere. They're obviously going somewhere else besides this. I think he mentioned the Pickup Cafe, which sounds mm. like a very classy joint. <laughs> uh, let's go in here. Maybe we can pick somebody up. But uh, we see uh, Homer turns up at Butch's place where he's got the new neon sign. And yes. uh, and we have Hoagie Carmichael, but we'll get yeah. to him. The the man the man, the 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 composer I always you know Stardust uh, the Lazy River as we'll we'll hear next week, um, but just a, a stunning a stunning man a, a great and a long lived and well loved uh, piano player and mm. performer. Um, I think he was also Ian Fleming's fantasy idea of what James Bond looked like. I think he's described as looking like Hoagie Carmichael. With yes. taut high cheekbones and stuff. I also think, I think, because Fle- he looks a bit like Fleming as well, I think perhaps Fleming saw himself physically as perhaps Hoagie Carmichael when he wrote James Bond, who's basically an avatar for him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I always yeah. got them confused though, because I, I thought it, I thought Hoagie Carmichael played James Bond in the <laughs> 1954 Casino Royale. It was Barry Nelson, so I was yep. wrong. Who Barry was also Nelson in from, that from airport. airport. Yes, yeah, that's right. The co pilot. Yes. You beat me to it, Jim. Yes. Small, small world. It's a small <laughs> It's like uh, six degrees of airport 1970s, isn't it? Not Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I keep thinking the great thing about having Hoagie Carmichael in this, he actually knows how to play the prop that he's working with. <laughs> if, if you ever, one of the more disappointing ones is if you've ever seen, uh, Dooley, of course, you've seen Dooley Wilson in uh, Casablanca. Uh, Dooley Wilson was a drummer, not a piano player. And when he, um, when he is uh, acting, playing the piano, he actually has made two fists and he's just kind of, <laughs> bumping his fists on the <laughs> on the piano he's doing the worst piano impression i've ever seen in a movie but you know they didn't hire him to play the piano they hired him to sing i was gonna say there's a bill murray plays the piano at the end of groundhog day can bill murray play the piano i believe he can i've seen okay. him in uh skits on snl so, where he's yeah. actually playing a piano okay so now um, he does this he used to sing the star wars star wars nothing but star <laughs> wars i'm not sure if he plays the piano in that scene though yeah, well, you know, Irish family with eight kids, he probably had to play the piano. It's a requirement. I, I was always surprised growing up. I, everybody, I, I grew up in a, I grew up in an Irish neighborhood, and 
everybody's dad that I knew of played some kind of an instrument. My dad played the piano. A mm. friend of mine's dad played the accordion. Another one played the fiddle. Uh, my grandfather played the fiddle. And I always thought everybody had a dad who played some kind of an instrument because that's just, that's what you do. Yeah. And growing up, you know, when I grew up, I found out it's kind of a rarity. So it was, I, I was kind of surprised that uh, this music music isn't a part Were of everybody's life. you drafted to play an instrument? Can you play anything? I can play. Yeah, I can play the piano. I can play. Oh. Uh, I can play the fiddle. I can play guitar. I am trying to learn button box accordion. My my other my mother's I was father. Say, yeah, played it. the accordion seems like an interminably difficult thing to play because it's like a sideways button interface, and you're squeezing yeah. it together and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's very difficult. But my my mother's father could play it, and I have his I have his accordion. So I feel like I should learn it just simply because it's it's part of the family. <laughs> As you've got a, a grounding in piano, is it easier because of that? Do you think, or not? Is it just a start from scratch? I th- I think it's all learning. Where, I mean, I can read notes, so that's that's always that's always a good thing. I think if you can read music, you can apply it to any. Do you, do you play anything, Ethan? Do you, do you play just any? my mouth. I would love oh. to. I would love to be able to play the piano. I do like. I love piano work, and I it does fascinate me, and it's something I perhaps always wanted to do. Yeah, more so it perhaps is... than the the glamour of the guitar. I just I love uh, yeah piano. It just looks cool. If someone can play piano. I'd, it's I'd... a it's it's a thing that I yeah. I found. You know, I, I was wondering. You I know turned... what? I'm sorry to interrupt. I had lessons when I was a kid, but I didn't oh, okay. stick with it. My dad insisted I learn. I should have stuck with it now, but uh, yeah, I, sh- I when I was like 13, I had like three months worth of lessons. But I I think because I'm dyslexic. And I think your left brain works if you're right-handed and stuff. It's a bit of a mess. So your coordination stinks. I, if I'd have stuck with it, I'd have got it. But I just couldn't uh, well, get my head around the, yeah, the worth, key worth, placements. Worth, worth a second go at it. I started, oh, yeah. playing the, I started playing the fiddle when I was 40. I decided I need to learn another instrument. So I, <laughs> I, I, learned, the, I learned the fiddle from a very angry Russian fellow uh, in a – in his basement he had a he had a business selling violin so uh, he basically I, locked me in there in his basement for two yeah, years yeah, good, he wouldn't let me leave unless i learned to play the piano good Sorry, solid the, the uh, ang- yeah, ang- yeah angry russian uh, uh, uh fiddle you're, player jim you'll play you're jim you'll play <laughs> yes, yes. you'll play good and i let you go <laughs> pretty much he would but he got me going and i you know i i, I can saw my way through a tune now and i feel feel very good about that did you did your grounding in piano help with that as well yeah, I mean, no. I, I can read notes. I can say, "Oh, that's an F." Yeah. That's a, you know, I, I can read that. So I, I feel like if you can, if you can find something that you can attach to music, yes, you can, you can learn the. If you can learn to read music, then you can do it on any instrument. Right. Uh, I wouldn't trust myself with a saxophone, but I don't know. <laughs> that may be my next thing. I'll have to hold off in the, the next decade, pick yes. up uh, some kind of a, a thing that you blow through. Yes. Um, no, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, wow. But but here. It's something I want to do anyway. Before yeah. I die, I'll play the goddamn piano. Yeah, angry just... Russians or nay, I will make it happen. <laughs> find, yourself, find yourself an angry Russian, and, and you'll be well on your way. I've been out with um, a few of them, so yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, but here we are with the, the fantastic Hoagie Carmichael, who you know, I mean, he he writes songs and he can act. And I don't know if he's got that. You know, he's got that over Henry Mancini, I guess. I don't know how many. Uh, uh, did he do are, any film all... soundtracks or did he yeah yeah because i know like you mentioned mancini stuff did like uh breakfast at tiffany's and things and uh the pink panther films what did Hoagie carmichael do did he kind of did he do any soundtracks in the era of the 60s 70s and 80s and things i don't know i don't know where he went in the way of soundtracks he did write a lot of uh a lot of pop songs i want mm. uh, things like old buttermilk sky i'm just i'm not looking this up on on wikipedia just things that are popping in my head but i think stardust really is his um yeah, it, it, it's it's his um, 
I, I think that's that's his his epitome uh, is coming up with Stardust and writing the lyrics for it. It's such Nat a can call one. Sorry, Nat can call one. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, used uh, used at the opening of um, my favorite year. Speaking of uh, best years of our lives, my favorite year, nineteen eighty three Richard Benjamin film with uh, uh, that's, Peter. That's Atul. what I thought this was, and I still haven't seen that the Petro Tall actor one, haven't I? Oh that's my it. gosh! Yeah. Yes, you got to get into that. It's the that a good uh, movie? the. the the basis of Thirty Rock, if you ever watched the show Thirty Rock, Alec Baldwin, yeah, yeah, it comes it comes from the nineteen, it, well, in nineteen eighty three, it was done as a nineteen fifties style of uh, of Thirty Rock, and if you watch that, it's it's almost a one to one relationship. You say that's ah. I understand this now, um, with Peter O'Toole playing the uh, Tracy Morgan role, right? Okay, I was gonna say you say Stardust is like that's a classic. Actually, did you know Hoagie wrote the Yabba Dabba Doo song for the Flintstones? <laughs> <laughs> really yeah it was on my notes i looked up hoagie carmichael well i'm not sure if that's an addendum because it says hoagie wrote the yabba dabba do for the flintstones episode hit songwriters so i'm not sure if there's two yabba dabba do songs i don't know i'd have to look further wait well i think there's abba dabba dabba said the monkey to that. that that's a different that's a uh maybe they adapted Andrew... it for the for the flintstones called it yabba yeah, dabba. yeah that's the yeah that's the andrews sisters uh hit from the from the 40s yeah um damn Goodness. yeah so uh <laughs> it's yeah it's, he's just he's simply a, a, astonishing his his talent you know the, the talent coming out of his fingers and then being able to play this role so spot on mm. you know as uncle butch what did he come out what was his background what did he come out of vaudeville or is he not that old surely or no no what, no what he his... uh uh I, I think he was just a um he was a singer he um right and, and from the midwest too if i if i remember correctly in indiana or illinois um was he famous out there then then came to hollywood or did he start out he left for hollywood to follow his dreams and then he became what he became he um let me see what i have here he had uh, he actually started he started uh indiana uh, that's where i got yes he he worked for um he was in a he was in a band in uh, indiana yeah and uh he went into law school Moved right. to Florida where he worked as a law clerk in a West Palm Beach legal firm, but he went to, back to Indiana after failing the bar exam in Florida. <laughs> and then he found two other guys that he'd hung around with writing songs. And uh, he finally passed the bar in Indiana, but he just kept going on with writing music. He's, uh, here's the quote that he, he mm-hmm. said, you don't write melodies, you find them. If, the begi- if you find the beginning of a good song and if you let your fingers... If your fingers do not stray, the melody should come out of hiding in a short time. Yeah. So he felt okay. that if he could get the opening, he could roll into the next part of the song. Right. He made uh, making hundreds of recordings between 1925 and his death in 1981. I was um, going to say he had a good innings. He was 82, and I think many of the cast members made it all the way to the 80s. It's uh, quite because they're all there smoking cigarettes yeah. and <laughs> drinking, drinking yeah, up the storm. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of cu- smoke cured, I guess. It's yeah. uh uh, um, just yeah, just an incredible guy. Watching him here, uh, <clears throat> I have to say, for an amateur, Harold Russell is fantastic. He gets he, he pops in he pops in here at the end of the at the end of the minute. Yeah. Uh, when he walks in the bar and he hears Butch playing, and he just has that ear to ear grin that looks <laughs> honest. Yeah. Of course, he's saying to himself, "Oh my gosh, I'm in a movie with Hoagie Carmichael." Oh, you know, he probably listened to Hoagie Carmichael records more than he saw movies with Myrna Loy. Oh yeah, for um, sure. And uh, especially probably being drafted, they probably just had well, they they have music more than anything. I think they wouldn't have as many movies showing. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. This would barracks. be like, you know, finding out that your your uncle is being played by Billy Joel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's just, just astonishing. Um, As he actually plays Jim, uh, at minute second 49 of this clip, a guy turns around one of the booths. Uh, it looks like, it's not obviously, but I thought it was Dirk Bogard, but uh, he wasn't. Yeah, or Ralph there. Bellamy at the time, I would think. Yes. You know. One yeah, of the Duke brothers. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He looks like a young Ralph Bellamy. Uh, and again, we're we're in another one of those situations. If you remember back in the uh, back in Homer's house, uh, we saw that deep focus idea that uh, that he, the center of the screen is uh, is being influenced. That's where our t- attention is being drawn by all these sharp diagonals. The diagonal, the roof of the the roof of the bar, and everything is pointing at both Homer and. Uh, Uncle Butch, uh, mm. down in the foreground, but everything from the the ashtray that's parked on top of that uh, upright piano yep. to the word uh, "place" on the written backwards on the door is in focus. Yes, um, and another, it's just, another split diopter, or no? We just, uh, we... I don't think so. I think no. this is a very deep focus, well lit scene. Yeah. Uh, the, I can't imagine what the, you know, if you think of the inverse square law, that uh, light drops off. <laughs> Yes. Uh, as you go twice the distance, it's four times as dark. So Homer must be lit with floodlights <laughs> there because he's just as bright as that little well, key light that yeah. they have dropped I think the split dots is you get like a fudgy line in the middle of the screen as well, don't you? So it can't be that. No, you're right. Yeah, but these yeah. are nice, you know, thanks to the Norden bomb site and things like that and uh, different optics makers. This is mm. probably a, a Bausch & Laum, uh lens that uh, has a low light characteristics. They're using high speed film. Mm. Uh, Kodak was in its heyday then making films for the army for you know like uh, observation observation planes. So they have a lot of high speed films that could get a really good grain and still manage to you know have all this low contrast. The frames uh, nicely arranged as well because what's the what's the ratio four point three four to three. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's square. That's TV, right? Yeah. So exactly. When and, did things uh, get whether different, I mean, Ben Hur, directed by William Wyler, that would have been in CinemaScope, right? What was the ratio of that? Right. When did things uh, get wider? Is it like only special films got this wide presentation? What brought it about was television. Television, uh, television was built in a four by three format, much like need, you know, much like right. movies. So they needed something that could compete with television, and so you had a things... hook, if you will, another pun. Yeah, yeah. It's it. So if. <laughs> If if you if you wanted people to go into the theaters, you had to widen the aspect ratio just yeah. to say, here's what you can't There's get. There's more at home. movie than TV. Exactly, you can watch yeah. the middle third of our film, or you can watch it here on Cinemascope. And you know, you had things like VistaVision, which was Paramount's version. VistaVision was actually filmed sideways so they could get more image into the print. <laughs> and if you look at a VistaVision, you know, if you look at a strip of VistaVision film, all the frames go sideways just simply because they could make the camera a little bit wider that way and they didn't have to worry so about panavision is made by who is that the panavision is panavision corporation which right. use, which is just making is using an anamorphic lens to widen out uh you know they film on kodak film or or technicolor right. film or deluxe film but the, and, these uh, are all generally vista vision all the other ones this is uh what one three five ratio ish yeah yeah. That, yeah that's that's right so it's a lot a lot wider and that would have come that would have come later things like the robe the robe would be mm. a 1949 or 51 i can't remember but that would be one of the earlier uh vista vision film or uh uh cinemascope films right uh so cinemascope is where it came with the robe then you started getting to extreme wide functions uh 1954 55 would have been uh low thomas showing cinerama mm. which was almost like three to one and actually had three different 
it had three different cameras that were or three different projectors that were synchronized with each other so you could put three different strips of film on the same uh on the same screen and it sounds like the pain in the ass that 3d theaters have now isn't it because you've got yeah 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 or you know and and it it continued on into the gosh in the 1980s i remember it's like imax of the day in a sense it's another gimmick to get you to come and see the movie right yeah the giant the giant frame that had low you know it's pre-digital so it had low um Mm you know, low grain. Um, I, I remember going to see uh, Brainstorm in the early 80s in Dallas. Is that the Walken uh, film? That The Walken film, right, with yeah. Natalie Wood. So and they all get to uh, heaven at the end of that film, I think, right? All those angels, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like life after death and <laughs> That's things. That's it. But what, what they showed, well, it was supposed to be a thing that could you could read other people's thoughts when you put this thing on. And the scenes where you were in other people's minds mm. was shot in something called show scan, which was a high frame rate. It was done at, I think it was done at 60 frames per second. Right. So they, they'd run a film through at high speed. And uh, it, the problem was, and this came back later on when The Hobbit did this in, was 24? 2015 i think was the, or 20, yep. 2005 was the hobbit they did it with a high frame rate and the problem is that <laughs> it looks television, cheap, doesn't it it looks yeah, weird t- and too real yeah, yeah it, it doesn't look like a film anymore it looks like video yeah so uh it, it backfired it backfired horribly yeah i um, remember seeing the hobbit i was like oh god this looks like some bbc cheap kids <laughs> drama what is this crap yeah yeah coronation shire i guess like, yeah that it's, being um, said by the way i think avatar is like something like 60 frames or so a second so god knows what that's gonna look or that might yeah, be just a consequence right. of having the 3d in it will look normal when you see it i don't uh, one, know one can hope yeah it's yeah. uh because that other ratio is Super 70, is it? I think the Star Trek, the motion pitch was in that. And Far and Away, I think, was the last film I know that was in that uh, giant Super 70 format. I'm not sure if that's high or just wide. I can't remember. Yeah, it, it's um, it's all very peculiar. You know, of course, now with uh, 4K you know, HDTV and beyond, mm. UHD and things like that, you can project whatever aspect ratio you, you want you to on your it. screen. Yeah. Um, it is which is it, which is another thing that's killing that's killing theaters right now. It's like why go to why go to a theater and sit in a lumpy stained seat when you can stay at home and sit in your own lumpy stained seat and watch your own wall with which you could probably build. Um, I know uh, my my son's father in law has a uh, has a TV in his bedroom that is eighty inches diagonal, and it's like you know if you're sitting six feet away from the thing, it's yeah, it takes up take your whole in. sky. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm uh, my prediction is someday they'll just have they'll sell a can of paint that you just paint on the wall and then you stick two wires in a corner and it'll figure out what your aspect ratio is and show you whatever movie you want yeah. on, uh, through smart paint. But we're <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, somehow this has to do with a 1946 movie made by William Tyler. Well, no, we're just talking about aspect ratios because yeah. what I started off by saying is they've really nicely arranged the frame, foreground, background. As you said, it's lit properly but it's only in this 4.3 uh, ratio, but it's become such an important, not that I'd bloody heard of it, but I, what do I know? It's become such an important film. It's in the American uh, Library of Congress, but it's in this kind of just regular format. So you'd think it's such an important film. It would have had the amazing treatment that it did, but I, I guess because it's a character drama, it doesn't need to be because, you know, so yeah. it's just interesting. Just what the way, you know, aspect ratios exploded out of the screen, then came back, then went high, then there was IMAX, then there's this, then there's that. And nothing has really changed. It's just another gimmick to get you into the theater, isn't it? Yeah. And it, well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's what, what you can put in the frame and make sure that you, you know, like a lot of times 
you'll see CinemaScope movies, but most of the action is happening in the middle anyway because they know it's going to be shown on a on a four by three TV. So it gets uh, it gets pulled out of that. And you know, it, it's like it, it. No matter what the technology is behind the aspect ratio, you still have to have somebody behind the camera that knows how to drag your eye. And of course, here uh, we're looking at the the. If you want to talk about the best cinematographer who ever lived, and that, that's easily arguable, this is Greg Tolan's work. Greg mm. Tolan is the uh, cinematographer. Greg Tolan was the cinematographer on Citizen Kane, where yes. everybody you know starts pointing to this is how you make a movie. This is yeah. how movies is framed but his whole idea yeah. is that your eye is drawn to the top half of a screen and your eye is drawn to the top right of a screen um is, it, why, every, is that him directing your eye to that because that's the way he wants it or your eye does that naturally is that to do that, with like... well he be- he believed that that's how it is and if you watch you know like the opening of citizen kane if you watch the opening of citizen kane you see the light in uh in the room in xanadu is in the upper right hand side of the frame so it's can i make a confession listeners jim i've not seen citizen kane Oh dear. Okay. Well, this is your homework assignment over the <laughs> or, weekend. Or Touch of Evil. Game. I was going to ask that. Did he did, oh, receive the yeah, cinematography yeah, it, from that as well? Yeah, it's all there. He 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 did it all there, and you know, it's like everything. <laughs> They're wrapped everything. in plastic. I I, do, I actually own those films as well. Oh no. You've, yeah. Okay. You got to this weekend. Your your assignment is <laughs> sit down and watch the. Yeah, if you, if you missed a couple of episodes back, uh, listeners, I did in fact uh, confess I do own many of the films I've not seen, and they're still wrapped in plastic on yeah, my it, shelf. So it, do, it doesn't work by osmosis. <laughs> it, I touched them. I tried to absorb psychic energy from the from the from the from the, from the, the box art. Nothing. You have yeah. to watch them. Apparently, the old-fashioned way. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, well, watch what you should do. The first time you watch Citizen Kane, don't even watch it with the with the sound on. Just turn on. I know that on a lot of the uh, Citizen Kane uh, releases there's a there's a director's commentary or yeah. not director's commentary I a, think it's a comment- the super deluxe one as well like it's got a little book in it and all this other stuff I went all out and then I never watched it <laughs> it's been sitting there gathering dust but yeah it, if you watch it with watch it with the Roger Ebert commentary uh, <clears throat> film critic uh, Roger Ebert has an excellent uh, overlay of everything going on right. in the film to, okay. to watch every moment of it. I wish he had uh, lived long enough to do uh, one for Best Years of Our Lives. I almost don't want to watch it now. And instead of dropping uh, the the snow globe at the end on my death on my deathbed, I drop the Citizen Kane Blu-ray or DVD <laughs> and go Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I never watched you. Boom. Yes. Oh my God! Glad we're having a good laugh, Jim. This is uh, r- remarkably. Despite having the least amount of research in this episode, we've talked uh, and said the most interesting triviatro feel. We've, we're it, having a good one. I like it. It rolls through, yeah. And yeah. Uh, who said movies by minutes isn't a bad way to? <laughs> uh, but well, yeah. Uh, for for things that are getting set up for next week, we're gonna we've got a lot of stuff coming up in in this movie where the gang is getting back together. But we don't want to don't want to spoil that until next week. No. But hopefully, this is like the nineteen forty St. Elmo's fire. That's it. The there you go. Yeah, it's it's all they're getting. Or the Blues Brothers, they're getting the band back together. Everybody's <laughs> getting back together here. If you say um, no, I will come back here for lunch, <laughs> breakfast, and dinner every day. <laughs> It'll happen. <laughs> How much for your little girl? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your daughters, sell them to me. Sell me your children. <laughs> Uh, wow. Well, we will we will leave Hoagie and uh, and you know, dear dear Butch and and Harold Russell as as Homer. Uh, they're in the entrance of Butch's place. But uh, what a great way to to end the week on this uh, vision of happiness. You know, poor Homer's been so sad about everybody uh, treating him the wrong way. He knows Butch is going to give him a good time. 
And there we have it, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed uh, not only this episode, but this week's as well. As it is Friday, I get to say this for real this time. How exciting! <laughs> you can find the Best Minutes podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com. And get this. If you want to discuss any of the things we've talked about in this show, and I know you will, because I'm a fountain of information, and Jim is a, a, a Hoover Dam of information, <laughs> you can discuss this and more at Butch's Place, the best years of our lives, Listener's Cafe, on Facebook and on Twitter at Best Minutes. Also, get this. How exciting is this, right? If you're a fan of movies, and I know you are, there's over 180 Movies by Minute podcasts, just like this one, uh, at moviesbyminutes.com. You can even... Uh, hear me at Two Minute Terminator. And as you see, I like to go off the range and talk about anything but the movie, and Dr Jim drags me back in. Imagine if Jim wasn't there, and it's just me talking about Terminator <laughs> and whatever else there is. So if you do like that, or if you've got a fan of any kind of movie out there, there will be a Movies by Minute show just for you. So join us next time at the Best Minutes podcast. Happy Friday. Have a lovely weekend, and we shall be back on Monday. And I just passed it over to my co-host, Jim, who made all this possible. Thank you for having me on, sir. I look forward to next week as well. Over to you, baby. Bang. Hooray. And I, I want to say, by the way, at, at the end of this week, we talk about movies by minutes. There are over 180 movies by minutes out there. But if you go out there and you haven't seen the movie that you love, that you cherish, that you want to tell everybody about, want to join us. You can join us and be part of the movies by minutes experience. Just get yourself a microphone and we can talk you through the rest. So uh, go ch check us out right, right into uh, the movies by minutes uh, folks. They're always happy to hear from you and would love to help you start your own movies by minutes show. We need more podcasts. You know that. Jim there already courting more stress for himself as he <laughs> does more shows with more people. But there we have it. But before that, Jim will have a nice relaxing weekend. He's in fact going to walk the dog now and I'm yes. going to walk mine. So thank you for listening. We love you and we'll see you, uh, what is it, spit spot on Monday, ready to go for minute 36. I've been Ethan McKinley, Jim O'Kane. I love you. Thanks for having me on. Have a nice weekend, everybody. Woo! Adios! Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.